We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 376, and I am your host, Jethro Jones. I'm excited to have Marissa Thompson here with me today. She has 14 years of experience teaching various levels of English, including advanced and support classes, and she was her district's first innovation support coach. She is a designated cooperating teacher for several credential programs and a professional development instructor for the University of San Diego. And her experiences culminated in a pedagogy she calls instructionless teaching, which includes her TQE method currently in classrooms around the world from kindergarten to graduate school. And she has been on many different podcasts and writes for her own at Unlimited Teacher blog and others. And she speaks all over the place, including district and university programs, and she recently won the 2019 Ed Innovate Live Pitch Competition and was named Q's 2019 San Diego Innovative Educator of the Year. So that's a lot that you have done. Marissa, welcome to Transformative Principle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to chat. 
Yes, I'm very excited to talk with you. I've been following you on Twitter for quite some time, and you connected me with uh, Brian Brockett, whose podcast came out a few weeks ago, and I'm excited to, to be uh, able to chat with you today. So thank you for for the opportunity. Um, let's start by, we're not going to go a ton into it on this podcast, but talk to us about your instructionless teaching method and what that um, entails, and give us the overview and how we can learn more about that also. So instructionalist teaching happened as a, just a happy accident, really. Um, but about seven years into my career, I was going to leave education. I was quitting. I, I was not all satisfied with the work that I was doing. I wasn't fulfilled in any way. I, couldn't, I didn't see any of those beautiful light bulbs in my students. And I just felt generally ineffective. The work I was doing was not reflective of why I went into the profession. And so I started having some really meaningful conversations with a couple administrators who I trusted completely and who challenged me a ton. And so bit by bit, adjustment after adjustment, you know, kind of closing my door and doing what I felt was the right thing to do at the time. Um, I found that a lot of the pain points in creativity or expecting creativity from my students came from my genuine attempts to help them. So lots of instructions, lots of models, lots of structures, lots of supports along the way. And what I basically was expecting them to do was to copy exactly what I was doing and turn it in for points. Um, as soon as I got rid of all those instructions and super quantitative rubrics, and opened it up to my students and focused on the skills and what they thought and how they wanted to do things. Then I really, I just saw everything change, everything mm -hmm. change for me and for my students. So there's a few things that we do in my class on an extremely regular basis that have as minimal a uh, number of instructions as possible in order to get the most out of the kids. Yeah, that's really good. And it sounds like this idea of productive struggle and of figuring things out on your own is a part of that. Is that a fair understanding? It is. And I, I think sometimes people um, hear that and think that we're not there helping or right. you'll hear guide on the side or I like to think I, 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 grew, I grew up in sports programs. So I feel myself to be more as a coach. I'm standing there while they're trying to figure it out and I'm making suggestions on how they might figure it out. Um, and then I say, I'll be back in five minutes to check in. So it's not like you said, it's productive. It's cared mm -hmm. for struggle. It's supported struggle. It's not just struggle. So sometimes there's yeah. confusion there in that term, I think, huh? Yeah, I think so. And it's very much akin to the kind of things that I've been doing in my schools around student-driven learning. And that's something that I speak on and, and consult on as well, because there's this idea of, of what education has become, which I recently attended a webinar and it was being sponsored by somebody. And they said one of the features of their product was that it provided a scripted curriculum where the teacher didn't have to do anything. She was able to do do her lesson, but record it, like go through the whole thing and, and have everything there. So she didn't have to create anything, which on the one hand sounds really nice, but on the other hand, sounds really repetitive, really boring and, and not fun at all. But what I focus on is helping kids figure things out as best they can on their own. And I like to uh, think of the teacher as the compass. She's the one who shows you how to get back on track if you're lost 
but keeps you on track if you're paying attention. And so that's what I think, you know, we um, go from uh, sage on the stage to guide on the side. And I, I like the idea of teacher as compass or as coach. I think that that works too, but, but those different ways of thinking about what your job is as a teacher are really, really valuable. What we're going to talk about today is more about, you know, what we're going through and how to do better with that. So let's talk a little bit about those expectations, because when you, when you talk about teaching, if you give the kids a ton of instruction so they can follow a path perfectly and get the exact right answer, what they're learning is how to follow instructions. And if I'm building, you know, some furniture I bought from Ikea, I definitely want to follow those instructions well. But if I wanted to create my own furniture, I certainly wouldn't go to Ikea and buy it and then create it and say, this is mine. So we have that way of of putting these expectations on ourselves of this is what teaching should look like. And especially right now when schools are doing all kinds of different things during coronavirus, um, how do we manage those expectations appropriately? Gosh, you said everything that I just wish I could amplify, right? So um, <laughs> I right, give you a megaphone and just go, go ahead, Jethro. Um, That's what the podcast is. It's a megaphone. Right. So thousands of people will hear this. That's okay, great. Good. Let's do it. <laughs> so I think, I think what's difficult at any time is the expectation from so many. And I've heard other people say, you know, everyone feels that they know what school should be like because they went through it for so many years, right? So everybody's an expert. What's strange to me is that so often we don't trust our greatest experts, which is ourselves, our colleagues, um, but especially our students. So I, I talk to my students constantly, and my fa- my final exam is a two-day reflection and analysis of the efficacy of our course. And to know and to express to them that the student is the expert in the educational experience their families have not gone through education in a pandemic. No one has. We haven't taught in this. And so we really need to partner up because the expectation right now is out of control, right? The expectations are coming from everywhere, from families, from districts, from the state, from, gosh, just federally, but also as a society of what is school supposed to be? Why isn't it the way it is? You know, right now, this is not what I expected this year to be. This is not what I need this year to be. And I sit there and go, okay, and I understand that. And I appreciate that. However, I'm in it every day with the student. And so the, I feel like the two of us, these two sides that are in here every single day together, we need to make this work for ourselves. So even if that means taking a step back, looking at what our expectations of what school should be or what students should learn, taking a step back and getting really purposeful and really efficient because you can sit here and put, you know, your really pretty posters about self-care or you can give me your cute meme about mental health, but it's not helping me for you to just say it. I need you to help me get there. That means don't have me attend trainings that I don't really need to be in not hosting a meeting just because we're supposed to have our meeting at this time. Let me teach. Let me plan. Let me give feedback. Let me help my students. Let me do those things because that's especially what we need right now. Yeah. You know, that, that idea of, of self-care is really important and not putting too much on people's plates, but we do because of the system that we're in put a ton on people's plates and, 
And I really appreciate that there there's a benefit to doing trainings. And a lot of people, a lot of teachers are saying, I've never been trained to work like this. I've never been trained to teach like this. And what we can misinterpret that to mean is send me to more trainings. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that's not always what people are saying when they say that. What they're saying is, I'm not sure how to do this. And I want to know that it's okay that I'm going to not do it right, quote unquote, sometimes. And and that I'm not going to get in trouble for trying my best. And and it's interesting because it's one thing for anybody to say to take care of yourself. But if you aren't helping people do that, then you're not really helping them take care of themselves. And I was I was talking to a principal a few weeks ago and she or he, I don't remember who, who it was exactly, but that doesn't matter. But what they were saying was nobody understands how hard I'm working as the principal. And so I'm sending emails at nine o'clock at night so that people know that I'm still working hard. And I think that that's the wrong approach. It's not about comparing or anything like that. It's about giving people the space they need to be their best selves and giving them the opportunities to, to do that. And so if you're emailing your teachers at nine o'clock at night, you're not setting a good example and you're not staying out of their life when you shouldn't be in their life. And I think that that's important. Now, beyond our, our leaders, having expectations. We also have these own expectations on ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about those? I I want to echo that I appreciate the wanting to solve it for the teacher, right? That that I was never trained how to do this and so that that might mean more trainings. But at the same time what I what I really needed and what I will continue to need, I'm sure throughout this year is more brain space. I need more brain space. I need more time so that I can figure it out. Just as much as we want our students to figure it out, I'm the one using it every day. I'm the one uh, creating every day. I don't want someone to provide me with the curriculum. I I want to do right by my kids. I'm just going to need a little extra brain space to reflect well and be able to adjust creatively. So I I think so too. I, I think our own expectations do definitely get in the way. But I think that those pain points that we feel is the real opportunity. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that we learn is how to take a look at what we're doing, take a step back and figure out what do we really want to do? We talk about rigor. We talk about standards, but really it's about skills. It's about skills for the students so that they can be successful in whatever they choose to do for work and in whatever they choose to do in life, but even as people, how to communicate, how to take a step back and look at all the information around you, especially right now, and start making not only decisions, but bigger questions and exploring those and then coming back and, and reflecting. Those are the skills I really need them to practice but how many assignments does that take? How many quizzes does that take? How many tests does that take? And in doing the same thing that we may have been doing in brick and mortar, how much time and brain space are we taking up of our students who are begging for the same thing? Brain space, mm. time, sleep, right? Mental health, self-care. We say it for our students too, but unfortunately, we're the ones putting it onto them. So as much as we're crying out for a little bit of relief, our students are too. And if we provide a little bit of relief for our students and really focus on letting them practice, 
practice this skill, practice this skill and giving feedback and then later assessing it instead of grading every single time they practice Mm -hmm. will alleviate some of that pain for ourselves too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you brought up standards and, and the only people who care about standards are teachers. Nobody else does. So the kids, they could not care less what standards they are and are not learning. And in, in the way that I teach schools to, to work with kids on standards is for the teacher to follow behind the student and say, here are the standards you passed off. And, you know, my, my second year teaching, I got this great idea to have a list of all the things that the kids needed to learn. And then they could just go through and check it off. As soon as they showed that they could do it, then they checked it off because I figure I was teaching English. Once they showed that they could do a certain skill or a certain standard, then they could check it off. And, and the only reason that kids were excited about that is because I said, once you accomplish what's on here, you can either move on to the next grade level up or you can spend your time however you want in class. And I was serious about it. And one girl named Kayla Armstrong took me up on it. She's an adult now. Kayla, if you are listening to this, I would love to get back in touch with you and see what's going on. She took me up on it and she said, I can do everything on this list. And I said, okay, how are you going to prove it to me? And she said, well, you should be able to tell just by talking to me that I can do most of these things. <laughs> and and I was like, yeah, that's right. I can't actually tell. And so then she said, here are the other things that I can do. And I don't want to do what you're teaching us to do in class anymore. I want to do it on my own. And I said, okay, go ahead. So instead of reading the seventh grade level books we were reading, she wanted to read Victorian literature and spend her time focusing on that. And I got to tell you, once I got out of her way, her growth and development just skyrocketed because my role at that point was to be her coach, her accountability partner, and make sure that she was making progress on the things that she was focused on. And she she turned in work that was better than what I wrote in college as an English major. And I was just amazed at what she could do. And going back to that question you asked of how much time and brain space are we taking up in our kids' lives, I think that is so important for us to really think about and pay attention to. Some of us are dealing with kids who are just you know, showing up to Zoom class and turn off their mics and their videos and then going and doing something else. Other kids are staying up late into the night trying to make sure they're getting things done when they don't actually have to do that. So let's let's shift a little bit and talk about what are some things that are good for teachers and good for students for us to do to solve this problem. Well, I think, and it's interesting hearing your story about Kayla. My, my class, I call it a discussion-based classroom because I believe that I can assess those skills as well in the same way. So while it's such a struggle to do that now in this COVID-style online experience, John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with Regard to Teacher Well-Being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. 
Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over. My research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers, and we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. But... Getting out of their way, yes. It sounds so counterintuitive, but deleting any quantity from your rubrics, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Deleting really specific instructions, get rid of them. You can still provide support, but without the delineated instructions. Um, If you could, it's so funny that you said that you had a list. I have a list as well. I have 13 skills that I focus on. I go, look, if I can get you to improve in these, if I can get you close to mastery in these, if I could get you to excel in some of them, that's a super successful year. So I have 13 different skills that I definitely focus on. And we try and do a couple weeks for each, but figuring out what those skills are, coming up with templates that will work for the different skills, as opposed to the text right? So here we're going to analyze an article. It doesn't matter what article. It doesn't matter if it's a poem. It doesn't matter if it's an op-ed or if it's a video. It doesn't matter. We're going to look at how do we think about it? How do we talk about it? Can we create a thesis statement from it? So that has taken away a lot of creation time for me. My templates are made because it's Mm -hmm. about the skill, not about the material itself right? Having those templates, having those procedures. So I know we talked about instructionalist teaching, um, the TQE method, a discussion-based classroom. We, we do what we call essay board meetings. 
So the kids get to u- get used to these procedures. And I've got them as like part of my, you always hear the teacher tool belt, but I do. And they're extremely tailored to the skill. And I can see my students growth as opposed to here's another assignment. Let me collect it. Let me grade it. Everything is done with, with practice and feedback in mind. Yeah, that's really powerful. And it makes it possible for, for them to do so much better because they have that support and uh, they have the right kind of support. So another example from when I was a teacher was Steve Jobs wrote his essay on music and how there shouldn't be digital rights management attached to it. And, um, and it was really interesting because that was a big deal. And it wasn't that big a deal to my kids, except that they they were all into music. And so it was very timely for them to be thinking about that. But they had never thought of why you can't pirate songs and why you know you have to buy them from a certain place. Again, totally different discussion now with all the streaming, but that didn't exist back then. iTunes was still relatively new at this time. But what was so fascinating is that the skill we were trying to learn was argumentative writing, which, well, that's what it's called now. It's called something else before, persuasive writing. That was a skill, was how to persuade someone else. And so at the end, you know, I was able to say, were you persuaded? Did you, do you think that we should have a DRM on music? And the kids were able to learn that skill through this example from someone who is very much in the public eye. And it was much more meaningful to them because of that. And what I, what I really appreciate from that is my students were very interested in that. And one of the most engaging conversations that we had when I was a teacher, because it was something that spoke to them, not something that I wanted them to read and pay attention to, you know, if they're reading some late 18th century writings about the United States and why we should form it a certain way, you know, to them, that wasn't really that appealing, but this kind of thing really definitely was. And it was fascinating to hear them respond to that. Well, and especially, like you said, if, if we can find the templates, if we can find the procedures, if we could get them good at the skill, then they can practice with all sorts of different materials, anything that really interests them. So that when they get to the point where you might need to have them tackle the thing from 18th century, right? Now they'll have the skill and they would be able to grapple with it as opposed to grappling with a really complex text, grappling with really complex concepts and grappling with really complex skills. It's too much. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. And no wonder we see so many shut down. Why aren't we practicing with things like a video that they saw on YouTube or an advertisement for a fast food place or whatever? Let them practice, let them get good at the skills so that they can focus on the complexity of the skill, then of the material, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And you and I are speaking right now about uh, language arts because that's that's what we are teachers of. But this applies to everything else. You know, it applies to social studies and to science. And and as you differentiate between the the task and the skill and the content, then you you can start to scaffold things a little bit better based on the individual needs of your students. So one kid may be um, really interested in wrestling and you can tie things to that or have them find content that relates to that. But if you're still teaching the skill, it makes it that much easier for you to focus on the skill and not necessarily 
on the content that they're looking at. Because to be honest, they could be looking at content that is incredibly complex for you that you would have a hard time um, understanding, but they get it on the first glance because they have the background knowledge to be able to understand it. I had a, a student one time who uh, who worked on cars, and that is just not my thing. I have no desire to work on my car in any way, shape, or form. But he did, and he did it with his dad. And so he would start talking about these things that he was doing, and he would read these car magazine articles about about old cars and and new cars and everything in between. And I would have no idea what he was talking about. And he would just go on and on and talk about it. And and then I would just have to learn to ask specific questions to help keep him on on track with what what he was trying to learn, which was a really fun thing to experience. Um, what other ideas do you have about doing things that are good for teachers and good for students at this time? One of the things I've been trying to put into place, I have, I have to be honest, I haven't been able to do it as successfully as I would like this year. I think this is the ultimate year for reflection and adjustment. Mm. And uh, my hope is to have an ongoing assignment for the whole year, a kind of a a thinking time capsule, like a journal, but they could do it, like you said, any way you want, right? You can write it. You can, shoot, I don't care if you make a haiku a day or a week or whatever, or you're making videos or you're doing sketches, but just this is a point in history that they should be documenting for themselves, for their kids, for their grandkids, but also just as a way of processing their own feelings. Um, and then as really taking their own temperature of, how are you doing? And do you need to make some adjustments? And I think that's a huge thing, not only for our students, but for ourselves. Because as much as I can't change what society might think, or what uh, the families might think, or what, you know, other people, whatever expectation they're, they're, they want from me, I'm the one that has to live it. My students are the ones that have to live it. And we're going to be in this together for an entire school year. So really taking our temperature on a regular basis, reflecting on what we're doing, why we're doing it and how we're doing it. And just going, is this the best thing for all of us right now? I'm not saying lighten it to the point where you're not having any learning happening. I want that learning happening. But I also really think that this could be the year where we all go, there's got to be a balance between life skills, educational skills, right? Academic skills, um, and just being a person in a community that is struggling. Our country is very much struggling right now from, for lots of different reasons. Um, what kind of a person do you want to be? And how are you managing all of it? I think this is important. Yeah, it's it's beyond important. It's it's the only thing that's worth doing in education. That's that's my belief. There's nothing else that matters is other than teaching kids how to become the kind of adults that they want to be. And and we can teach a lot of things with that, but that is ultimately what it comes down to. And if we can't do that, then what is the point? It, the academic knowledge is never going to be enough. The bookwork is never going to be enough. It it always has to be about who that person becomes and anything less than that is going to be woefully inadequate to prepare them for anything. And, and that's one of the, one of the soapboxes that I get up on top of is this, this idea that 
we need to prepare them academically. I think the academic piece is really the easy part. The transfer of knowledge is not that difficult. It's more about how do you become wise by applying that knowledge? How do you make choices based on what you've learned that are going to help you become the person that you want to be? And so often we have kids who get out of high school and go to college and don't know what to do with themselves because they've never had to think for themselves. They they get out of high school and they go into the workforce and don't know what to do with themselves because they've never had to actually think for themselves. So I want to talk a little bit about, about subversion and what that means to you, because I think you have a different take on it that I, that I kind of like. Yeah, it goes along with actually what you just said, that I really do think that these are the ultimate goals. And sometimes because the expectations that are being forced upon us um, are counterintuitive to what you just said about the whole person, right? And and who who will this person be when they are in their 20s or 30s or 40s? And how am I preparing them? Which seems like a massive task, right? And a huge responsibility. And it is. But I think so much of it, wildly, is stemmed in what kind of assignments are you asking them to do? You know, like you said, it's not the book knowledge. So for me, the subversive teaching I actually, I got it from a fellow educator, Laura Spencer, Dr. Laura Spencer here in San Diego. And uh, she and I were, were speaking, we were on our way to coffee at South by Southwest a couple years ago. And she mm-hmm. was talking about how she used to have to close her door and teach the way that she wanted to. And she called it subversive teaching. And I started laughing and I was like, that's exactly what I do. I just, because most people don't, didn't know what I was doing. I would close the door and I would mm-hmm. teach my kids. And then wildly, I had the privilege of having lunch with Jennifer Gonzalez called a pedagogy uh, that afternoon. And I brought up this phrase and uh, it showed up in her keynote a couple days later. And it was, yeah. it's been super fun, right? Like I love this. And it just actually showed up today in my, my inbox from her, but sometimes you can't advertise how you're teaching or what you're teaching, because it's so against the status quo of what is expected. Um, And that's not bragging. That's, that's just survival. So I used to close my door and go, we're not taking a test on this book. And the kids would Mm -hmm. cheer, right? I go, look, it's not worth it. I know, you know, this book, I've had discussions with you for the last five weeks about it. I know, you know, it, I know you loved it. I'm not dwindling it down to go, how well do you know this one part that I happen to remember from chapter three? That's crap, right? So I want to know what you think about this book. And I want you to be inspired by this book and go create something based on whatever you're going to take with you from this novel, right? The author didn't want you to dwindle it down to a 50 or 100 question test. This is a joke. So I'm not giving you a test, my colleagues probably would have had a huge problem with that, you know, mm-hmm. or I assume it, I assume that would be their expectation. So um, I would close my door and I would teach the way I want. I did that for a few years. And like I said, I had a couple trusted administrators that I finally brought it up to and they were in complete support. So I, I know that your, your audience is a lot of administrators and that would be my biggest advice would be to, let your teachers be subversive, protect them from the status quo because it was developed probably by their colleagues or by the community, protect them from 
the status quo, protect them from the expectations so that they can be creative, so that they can solve the problems. Don't send them, you send them to trainings, that's fine, but let them, let them solve the problems by themselves with trusted colleagues and with their students, because that's when you're going to see fireworks. It's going to be Mm -hmm. amazing, but it's going to take allowing them to deviate from the norm and protecting them when they do. So invite them in, let them know when they have an idea, tell them to run with it. Thank them for bringing it up to you. Let them run with it and check in with them. How's it going? Like we're in this together, you know, that's subversive teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that. And one of the things that I, that I did to shortcut our own growth as a staff in my two previous schools was to, to be the yes man for my teachers and allow them to do their ideas that helped us move closer to our goal, closer to our vision of what we were trying to do. And if it wasn't aligned to our vision of where we were trying to go, then, then I wasn't a yes man. But if they had an idea, you know, we were focusing a lot on personalizing learning and it was, it was great. And when teachers had an idea that pushed personalized learning forward, hundred percent go for it. That's an easy. Yes. If they wanted to do something that would, take that away or move away from it, then that wasn't meeting with our vision. So we weren't going to go down that path. And, and it was really interesting because the teachers who saw it and said, okay, I want to be part of this. They took off and ran. And the teachers who said, this is a fad or I don't want to do it. I just want to do things the way I've always done them. Then they really struggled because I kept putting pressure on them to continue to improve and move forward. And, um, And it was really fascinating to see that. But those who had that protection from the status quo, as you so eloquently put it, they were the ones who who just grew so much, way more than I would have ever expected anybody to. And it, it was just amazing to see how they could do that. So in closing, the last question I ask is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? Well, that's a great question. I think, honestly, I think we've already hit upon it. I think it's, I think it's being in cahoots with the teachers (laughs) and with the students. I think it's being uh, on their side and uh, on their team and um, pushing them along and, and supporting them in their failure too. Right. Cause uh, there were a lot of times where it did not work. Right. You only typically see all the good stuff. But there are a lot of times it doesn't work, but there's so much learning in that. There's that productive struggle and even just, yeah, be in cahoots with your teachers and they'll come to you with ideas because they're used to administrators or the expectation that administrators are there to stay, to say no, to um, keep trains running, to keep the status quo, to not ruffle feathers. And so often I'll hear administrators say, not at all, not at all. Mm-hmm. But you as administrators are fighting that expectation too, but you got to be in cahoots together. Yeah, absolutely. What a, what a great way to end it. Thank you so much, Marissa, for being part of Transformative Principle. If you want to follow Marissa on Twitter, she is Marissa E. Thompson. And that's Marissa with one R, one S, as I've seen it spelled both ways. And you get a link to that at the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org 
slash podcast slash episode 376. And then you can also go to her website, which is unlimitedteacher.com. And once again, thank you so much, Marissa, for being part of Transformative Principle. Thank you, Jethro. It was so much fun. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principle. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.